0: team.
1: Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Back here, Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, it's playoff time. Are you excited?
2: I am. This is a fun, fun- fun time of year. So
1: we should tell everybody that we are recording this a couple of hours before the first game of the Division Series, uh, Toronto and Texas. So by the time you listen to this, maybe something will have happened to this game that we don't know about yet. Uh, it's early Thursday afternoon for us, so keep that in mind if, for example, the first five batters in the game in a couple hours hit home runs and then whatever we say looks silly. Um, what we're going to do, obviously, it is playoff time. We have to talk about the playoffs, so we want to go over some quick, interesting StatCast data points from the National League Wildcard game last night, uh, and then we're going to hit on each of the four Division Series, which I think are, are really interesting and cool, and I have to put you on the spot and ask real quick which of the four division series are you most interested in and excited about i have an answer to that and i'm curious to know what yours is this.
2: giants cubs that's my that was my answer uh, too just because i think that the, the whole narrative of the cubs is that it is like going to be a big disappointment if they don't win at all so any sort of and then you have the the the, the giants the whole like, even thinking thing even though i think it's kind of silly but it's still like the narrative yeah. of it is kind of is kind of uh there's something kind of cool about it, and you know the Giants are kind of playing with house money as far as I'm concerned. And the Cubs, you know, it's if they if they fall behind two one, it's going to be a little. Uh...
1: There's a there's a not small part of me that thinks a, a Dodgers Giants NLCS would be awesome. But also, if I have to root against anybody, it's it's the Giants winning in an even year because I can't take that for two more years. Okay, so let's look back at that game last night, uh, Giants Mets, which you were in attendance, and uh, it was I think the fans were into it, right? It was, it was, it was a cool it was a really
2: fun game. It was you know we discussed this earlier. Two great pitchers, throwing strikes, pounding the strikes, so the game moved quickly, a lot of good plays, a lot of tense, even though it wasn't scoring, a lot of guys in scoring position, you know, guys getting out of jams, that great Granderson catch, uh, that deflected ball off Syndergaard uh, that Cabrera picked up and threw to first. And it was amazing because, as you pointed out, the, the, sorry, the Giants were actually hitting Syndergaard pretty hard. They had a number of "quote unquote" barrels.
1: Well, they do. We have we have barrels there. So if we've talked about barrels so many times, but just a quick recap is it's the combination of launch angle and exit velocity where you get the kind of batted ball that has a minimum five hundred batting average uh, and fifteen hundred slugging percentage. And remember, that's just a minimum to make the cut. The average of all those balls is eight twenty two. Slugging percentage is nearly three thousand. A simple way of putting it, it is the best thing a hitter can do because it will be a hit over eighty percent of the time. Now, what the, the, the Giants did, which you were alluded to, uh, they actually got. Four barrels before the final inning against Guard, none of which were hits. And I, we asked our, our friend Darren Woolman to look this up. Three times this year, we saw a team go 0 for 4 on barrels. It's really hard to keep hitting balls that have a likelihood of above 80% of being hits and not get hits on them.
2: Yeah, that, that the ball that Belt hit to deep center that Granderson made that catch on where he banged the wall. It was a really dramatic moment. Belt slammed his helmet into the ground. That ball is a hit ninety seven point one percent of the 97% time. Ninety seven percent a home of the run time. ninety one percent of the time. And you
1: know we have not really been been friendly to Curtis Granderson as a defensive center fielder. That was a hell of a play.
2: Yeah, that's. Uh, I actually think that that's a, almost a, a whole other conversation I'd have with you another time. So let's stick a needle in that one. All right. Um. Or put a pin in it. Sorry, I, I mixed up my metaphors. All
1: right, but Bumgarner last night was fantastic, and I always find him really interesting because. He doesn't really, he doesn't throw that hard. He's got an average fastball velocity of about 91. He's not center guard, right? He doesn't have like, he's got obviously good pitches, but he's not the kind of guy where it's like, oh my God, the changeup's best in baseball or the curveball's the best in baseball. He is unbelievably successful and it doesn't really stand out in an obvious way, right? And I think part of it is due to his deception and his height.
2: Yeah, exactly. He's got that weird arm angle. Um, you don't see a lot of guys throw, the that, that tall lefty throw from that angle. It's a little bit Randy Johnson-esque, not quite as tall. Uh, we looked at his extension. He actually, you know, he, not surprisingly, has above-average extension. And what s- seems to work for him, I'm not going to you know, attribute all of his success to this, but he's, on, based on perceived velocity versus actual velocity, he actually gets a nice bump where his slider, for example, comes in about—the perceived velocity is like, I think it's a—
1: 0. 0.52, half a mile.
2: Half a mile per hour faster, which is the highest gap of any pitcher on their slider in baseball. And so you, you see the ball coming from a weird angle. It's coming in a little faster than it appears. And you start to see why people might have trouble with him.
1: Yeah, he gets uh, 6.7 feet off the mound on his fastball. That's his extension. Uh, and that is the, the third— highest on a fastball among lefty pitchers in baseball. I mean, they, he, he cuts down the distance. It's not 60 feet, 6 inches. It's that minus 6.7 feet, which is cool. He kind of changes the game, literally.
2: Yeah, and he, I mean, he throws strikes. He works he works the corners. Um, And against that Mets lineup, I mean, you can't really... You couldn't pick a lineup that he'd be more inclined to dominate. They didn't really have... They won one formidable righty bat in Cespedes, who looks like he's a little bit off. His timing just looked terrible. You know, uh, Bumgarner pounded him high in the zone where he has a hole in his swing, and he... He was, he was a disaster.
1: Uh, it's, this is a different conversation, too, but a lot of, I think, Bumgarner. Bumgarner's been phenomenal in the postseason, no doubt about that. If you look at some of the lineups he's faced last night against the Mets, the Royals a couple years ago, they haven't really been equipped to face a lefty like Yeah,
2: that. those Royals lineups were very similar. They had Hosmer, Moustakis, Alex Gordon. They had Josh Bullingham on the bench. They, were, they just refused to put him in. Not that he's like a superstar, but he's a right-hand hitter who's more well-equipped to hit a lefty like Bumgarner. So it was th- those two... Uh, situations uh, were very were very comparable.
1: Now, before we get to the division series, we just got to talk about the home run, right? The the Connor Glasby home run. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to remember the difference between Connor Glasby and Cole Glasby. I'm pretty sure this is Connor Glasby. Uh,
2: today's not the day, but yes, today's going. not the day. Okay,
1: uh, so Jarius Familiar comes in, obviously gives up uh, the the home run, and basically ended the game more or less right there. And um, remember last year. He came in and he gave a home run to Alex Gordon in the World Series. It was, it was a huge play. And we looked at this last year. It was one of the first, I think, like really interesting stack things we, we were able to do. Uh, he quick-pitched it last year. And so what that meant was that his spin was higher than expected. High spin on a sinking fastball is a bad thing because that means it stays up. And that's exactly what happened. So if you look at last year, his spin was uh, almost 100 RPM higher uh, than his average. Right? In fact, on the Gordon like home run, it was like... Yes. yes, and so that, so it stayed up instead of diving below the knees. It stayed up a little above the knees, and uh, Gordon crushed it. Now I thought it was interesting. We looked at this last night, and they said maybe the same thing happened. You know, not really. His average sinker velocity this year ninety six point five. That pitch was ninety six point four. So no change. Uh, average spin rate twenty two forty six. The pitch last night twenty two twenty eight. Basically the same
2: thing, and actually lower.
1: Not, but yeah, but not probably yeah. not by enough to matter. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, so it, what was interesting was it's not that he did anything wrong with the pitch so much as. He placed it really, really poorly. That pitch was 3 feet off the ground, 2.978 feet off the ground. That was the highest sinker he threw last night, and it was the highest sinker he's allowed to hit on all season long. So it was the normal sinking pitch. He just put it in a bad spot.
2: Missed his spot. It happens. And the thing that we also saw from him last night is ever since he stopped throwing his split-fingered fastball, which he started doing earlier this year uh, for reasons that have yet to be explained, but it was a real weapon for him last year. He started to struggle against he doesn't quite have the weapon against left hand hitters. Last night comes in first batter, Brandon Crawford, left hand hitter. Hits a double. Um, then the um then he faced two more lefties, one of whom he strike Apagon, walked panic, and then the home run from Gillespie, left hand hitter. There's definitely something like Very good relief pitcher. You know, I think the conversation about him being, you know, unclutched or something is just kind of silly. Very good relief pitcher. He came up in plenty of big spots last year, a six-out save against the Dodgers in Game 5 of the National League Division Series very good pitcher he's not infallible no closer is um and you know without the splitter he's a little vulnerable to left-handed pitching that's to me that's the story
1: i think you're absolutely right and i think the part of the problem is uh fans expect their closers to be infallible and if they're not even by a little bit then you end up on the back pages of the local tabloids all right so let's uh let's move on we just talked about bumgarner let's stick with the giants giants cubs i think this is the series we're both most interested in so we kind of went through and did position by position we're well, not really, going to go through all. Ma- I did I was trying to be diplomatic yeah. here you, you know but no we're, we're not going to go through every single position uh but for you what what stands out the most to you which one of these kind of positional battles or or, or numbers uh for Giants Cubs kind of catches your eye here
2: I mean for the most part the 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 places where there are differences are pretty clear you know Posey's definitely has the edge of catcher uh Chris Bryant definitely has the edge at third base <laughs> yeah um but shortstop is the one place where it could kind of go either way Addison Russell or uh, Brendan Crawford. Um, I mean, not that it really matters that much in a short series. I'd probably take Crawford. I just think it's uh, a little more of a track record. Sure. A left-handed hitting middle infielder with pop. There's just it's just a unique profile. I like that. Um,
1: They tied for most defensive run saves among shortstops this year, tied, which is pretty cool. Uh, We saw Addison Russell actually increase his launch angle as the season went on. Elevate, hit for power. You can't slug on the ground. That's like (laughs) if the Cubs win the World Series, that's going to be the tattoo everybody gets. There's no slug on the
2: ground. If you ask me who will have more career WAR, I will say Addison Russell. If you ask me who I would who I think is a better player at this moment, Brendan Crawford.
1: I'll buy that. And uh, you know, what's also interesting to me is is the rotation. So obviously, John Lester, Kyle Hendricks have both been awesome. They're probably both going to be in the top three in the Cy Young voting. And, uh, you know, Jake Arrieta is their number three starter, which that's an entirely different thing. Imagine that. Uh, it, it's it's stuff if you look at the Giants, it's a really top-heavy rotation. Like, they've had problems at the back end of their rotation all year, but you don't care about that so much now. The only issue for them is you can't use Bumgarner in game one before game two he's got I think he's going to throw a game three and he's only going to throw it once in the series and that is a, a big problem for them not that they don't have a great pitcher in Johnny Cueto because they do it's just if you can't line those guys up like that then all of a sudden your second starter is Jeff Samarja who's
2: been yeah, a little inconsistent yeah I'm not sure I think it would probably be Samarja I would I could see you know for what it's worth Bumgarner if they went to five pitching relief in game five but yeah he wouldn't start it um Cueto's had an excellent year that kind of went a little bit under the radar I think um there was so many superior pitching performances particularly in the National League that it was kind of overlooked so um I think the edge here I think the gap between these two pitching staffs is smaller than well starting rotation Starting rotation yeah sorry starting rotation <laughs> is smaller than might be perceived partially because I think the Cubs pitchers and maybe to their credit get so much help from their defense but maybe you know Kyle Hendricks we've seen is very good at limiting hard contact so maybe he deserves he knows how to you know pitch to his defense So to speak, but the thing about the the Cubs starters to me, it's they're not the the kind of pitchers where you go into a game being like, oh, like we can't get the bat on the ball against this guy. So there's always going to be a to me, there's always a feeling that like you can piece together some runs against them at least in my opinion
1: yeah I think that that's totally valid um I also think that if you look at the bullpen I don't know if there's a bigger like you know massive advantage and any like other series that we're gonna have this postseason because we all know the Giants bullpen has been a huge problem although maybe not quite as bad as people make it out to be I mean they had an ERA at like 330 in September not so bad but you look at the Cubs bullpen or all Chapman I don't even need to tell you about a Chapman I'm so excited for the national stage to finally get a chance to look at Carl Edwards mm-hmm. Who I you know I love Carl Edwards, uh, high spin fastball and of every pitcher in baseball through at least thirty innings, nobody, not even Chapman, was harder to hit on pitches in the strike zone. He's, he's Carl Edwards. Looked... <laughs> That's why I kind of want to see a Cubs uh, Texas World Series because they got Carl Edwards from Texas. They got Kyle Hendricks from Texas.
2: We had I mean we uh, we uh, MLB Pipeline did the series of like how they were built um, and looked at each club and how where all their players came from. And what's interesting is that. The Cubs have more players on their roster who were drafted by the Rangers scouting director than anyone else. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah.
1: Uh, see, that's great. I learned something. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so anyway, that's Cubs Giants. I think that's going to be a, a fantastic series that kicks off uh, Friday night, I believe, in Chicago. And uh, I imagine Wrigley is going to be bouncing. Yeah, so I'm really it's going to be
2: it. it's going to be a good vibe. Uh, good vibe. They have the, the 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 nine p.m. East Coast start. Uh, so that's gonna, interesting. They'll, uh, they will uh, have the national stage themselves on Friday night.
1: I, I'm going to tell you, I'm not really upset at all about watching playoff baseball from one p.m. Eastern tomorrow till about one a.m. Eastern tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so the other NL series, Dodgers and Nationals, and I think at one point this was incredibly fascinating because these two teams are pretty evenly matched. We all know the Nationals; uh, so they're not going to have Strasburg, they're not going to have Wilson Ramos. Murphy is hurting, Harper is hurting, uh, and the Dodgers are in the opposite. Like Rich Hill is healthy, Kershaw is healthy. So you know, I think like catcher, for example, that should have been very, very even because those are arguably the two best hitting catchers. Uh, and now you know Pedro Severino, Jose Lobaton. You compare that to Grandal, who's a very good hitting catcher and is the best pitch framer in baseball. Uh, suddenly, that's a big advantage for the Dodgers. Where else stands out to you for these two teams?
2: Um, you know, assuming Murphy's healthy, that's kind of you. Kind of have to figure that they—that's where the the uh, the Nats have a clear edge. Um, and then right field's kind of weird because you've got Harper, who theoretically should have the big edge on the on pu- anybody on in the, theory, on anybody, or and particularly the Puig Reddick platoon. But right now, it's pretty close yeah, harper
1: uh since may 1st so essentially the entire season outside of his very good april since may 1st uh 367 on base 392 slugging that comes out to a 100 weighted runs created plus 100 is league average he's been an average hitter for five months he's hurt he's hurt right he's hurt
2: <laughs> i mean i don't want to say he's hurt but it's, he's it hurt. seems something's bothering well,
1: him 392- i can at least say with certainty his thumb is hurting <laughs>
2: yes that's true the the 392 slugging is is so much shocking
1: it's subpar we we looked at this at, on our last show so go back and listen where we talked about how uh, harper was playing more shallow and his throwing arm wasn't quite what it had been i thought that was a cool way to use the, the stack cast data it's really weird if you look at the uh, at josh reddick though he got he came over in the same deal rich hill did an absolute mess in august you hit 161 a 223 on base a 172 slugging and here he is in september and in, into october 417 on base 544 slugging he started crushing the ball and yes he puig since he came back from the minors slugging 561. So I just, that's why I kind of wrote, these are three really talented players, and I have no idea what version of them you're going to see on any day.
2: Yeah, the, the Dodgers definitely have the depth edge here. Um, the one interesting uh, storyline out of this series is, as of this recording, uh, in, pre-game, uh, in in workout day today, Dusty Baker said he was coy about who his Game 2 starter would be, mm-hmm. um, which you know to me seems like it should obviously be Tanner Roark, but... The Dodgers have serious issues hitting lefties, which could point to Gio Gonzalez.
1: The Dodgers have been the worst hitting team in baseball against lefties—a seventy-two weighted runs created plus. That's bad. Gio Gonzalez is also having the worst season of his career. He's got the highest ERAs I had in, in it's like eight years, the highest FIP he's had. It's it's a it's not a great matchup for either side. I guess is the way I'd put it. I would go with Tanner arc I mean, that it's just.
2: Yeah, It's a tough it's a tough one. Okay.
1: And the last point for, on for this,
2: me, it's for me, it's a tough one.
1: Uh, well, the last point on this one is uh, if you if watch out for the Dodgers in left field, and I don't think anybody really knows who Andrew Tolles is. I can honestly say he got called up in the middle of the season. I had no idea who Andrew Tolles was, so I had to do some research on him. Uh, he started the year in, in A ball. He's come up and he's uh, only had 115 plate appearances with the Dodgers, but he's crushed. Most importantly, though, he has an, an arm. He has an arm that rivals Yassil Puig, a 97.5 mile an hour average. So if you get a situation in the late innings where Tolles is in left, Puig is in right. You're not going to run on those
2: guys. Reddick has a pretty good arm too, if I'm not mistaken, and,
1: and it's not one of the two best on this team, right? So <laughs> yeah. maybe I don't know. Put one of them in center, and then nobody can run on anybody ever.
2: But it will be interesting to see because told. I mean, everyone knows Quigg's got an arm, but it's a little bit wild. So pe- people sometimes take chances on him, basically saying, "Hey, I dare you to make an accurate throw." Not saying that they they, they don't doubt his uh velocity is should they doubt his accuracy well tolls is a little unknown quantity yeah so it'll be interesting to see if teams he he has a a right fielder's arm in left field
1: and it's funny because the other left fielder is howie kendrick who has a second baseman's arm in left field so it's a pretty big difference uh let's go to the american league let's go to boston and cleveland and i think this one's pretty interesting obviously people are talking about how cleveland's rotation is hurt but i also feel like people underrate uh let me put it this way we all saw what happened in the american league wild card game with Zach Britton not coming in. I could not imagine Terry Furcona doing that. We've seen it with Andrew Miller, Hurley using whatever. I could see him in the third inning and it wouldn't surprise me. I think it's a big advantage.
2: Well, I think that's what, ha- what what's helpful for certain managers when they could sort of like find a way to like remove their best reliever from the closer label, um, which the Indians did like, you know, like 10 years ago in the 07 when they, or nine years ago when they faced um, the Red Sox. They had like a Joe Borowski as their closer and he was like getting like 40 plus saves with like a 4 ERA. And... Uh, Gosh, I can't remember the name. I think they had Rafael Bencord. and they had a probably and a, I can't remember his name. But they, they had, their best relievers were not their closer. And I think that that's sort of what Frank Code is basically. Not that Cody, All- Cody Allen is a slouch by any means, but in some ways it's almost like freeing when you could figure out a way to sort of have the situation where you don't have to name someone as the closer. And Andrew Miller, despite the fact that he's as good as any reliever in baseball, has sort of just hovered in this non-encloser role for a few years into his benefit he's been he's been more valuable as a result
1: and and with the way the rotation is uh, depleted they're going to have to rely on the bullpen like that. So I, that's probably one of the things that really stands out for me about the entire postseason, I really want to see how Terry Francona uses that bullpen, especially in games that aren't started by Kluber or Bauer. You know, if they have to start like a Mike Clevenger, how early does the bullpen come in for that?
2: I also think that Bauer's the kind of guy, I mean, he, he has a tendency to nibble and work up a high pitch yeah, count. Yeah, he had He's a the poor kind of, second against, half, too. And against that Red Sox lineup that looks, you know, they see a lot of pitches, they work counts. I could see him at 80 pitches in the, four, you know, in the fourth inning, and it's like, okay... You're gonna to have to go to the bullpen. early. I mean, they're really gonna need Kluber to go deep in Game Two because I think the the bullpen's gonna be really tested across the board. And you want, I mean, Andrew Miller is gonna pitch in every game of this series. Yes, yep, absolutely. Because it so, will never they they will never have to play three days in a row. Right. So, like, you can, if you want to back on one thing, it is he's going to pitch in every game. I'm, the question is how much he pitches in every game. I'm
1: so excited for that. Uh, the thing that stands out to me about this series is you look at center field, right? Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, he was, had an amazing first half. Wasn't really able to keep that up in the second half. He only had a 315 on base in the second half. But when you think about Jackie Bradley Jr., what's the thing you think of the most? Probably that arm, right? He is a cannon arm. We had uh, 16 throws tracked by StatCast this year from an outfielder being 100 miles an hour or more. And he had four of them by himself. Now, that's really, really good. The thing, though, is that Cleveland has Tyler Naquin. He had two of those throws. So between the two of these guys, that's six of the 16 throws we've seen from any outfielder. And uh, I think that, that makes it kind of interesting on defense. But I want you to watch something with Tyler Naquin. He, and this, this fact is uh, from our friend August Fagerstrom. If you look at elevated fastballs, fastballs high, and that's defined as fastballs two and a half feet or more off the ground. All right, three 302 guys faced the, uh, the requisite number of fastballs. Tyler Naquin was the weakest on all of them. His OPS against ops mind you this is not batting average this is not on bases and not selecting ops against those 240 think on that for a second and I, i know you can't see this like it's a podcast and there's no camera here but i'm looking at a heat map of tyler naquin and uh his performance there is just a giant blue box at the top of the zone so i'll be very interested to see for example rick porcello just pound him with those high, high spin four seam fastballs, high, high, high. You have to.
2: Yeah, and 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 if, if he plays against even if he plays against David Price on Friday, same thing. It's kind of amazing. Price Kluber is at four thirty tomorrow. Scherzer, Kershaw at five thirty, and I feel like Price Kluber is being totally overshadowed. Like you know, it is a fantastic like pitching match with the kind you dream of, but it's like totally overshadowed by Scherzer's show. Yeah,
1: it'll be interesting to see uh, the strategy of people on the East Coast. Like, do I stay late at work and watch these, or I rush home <laughs> to try to get the game on? Uh, the other thing that stands out to me here is, uh, is is catcher, because if you think about the Red Sox, Sandy Leone was like a, a season saver, because Hannigan got hurt and didn't play very well, and Christian Vasquez got hurt and didn't play very well. Sandy Leone comes out of absolutely nowhere uh, and basically put up the same line that Jonathan Lucroy did. 369 on base, 476 slug. This is a guy who was DFA'd last summer nobody wanted him. Now, I think it was pretty obvious to everybody in the entire world at the time, there was no way he was going to be able to keep that up. His batting average of balls in play was like 500. Uh, And we saw that happen in September, 286 on base, 253 slugging. That's probably more like the San Leone you can expect to see. And, you know, Cleveland's catchers, I don't have the numbers in front of me, they put together one of the like 20 worst offensive seasons uh, in the last 70 years because Jan Gomes was hurt and Perez isn't much of a hitter. Uh, I, I, that's almost like a wash for me now, I think.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's going to be the key for the pitching staff of the Indians is like the Red Sox lineup is so good, but they do have a couple weak spots. Right. Uh, catcher, third, third base.
1: They have the weakest third baseman in all of baseball this year. Uh, last thing on this series, Drew Pomerantz, who was a starter in, uh, in his last game of the season, pitched out of the bullpen because there's some uncertainty about his arm. Usually goes 92, 93, 96 out of the bullpen. He's going to be a lot of fun to see come in out of the bullpen. I'm excited about that
2: he will be Boston's uh, answer to Andrew Miller, I guess.
1: Well, last series here. It's the one everybody wants to talk about. Texas and Toronto. I'm already, like, pre-annoyed about how much focus is going to be about, you know, the history, you know, Dore, Bautista, and every single fastball that's even, like, mildly high and tight, everyone's going to be at the top of the dugout stairs, which I guess excitement is great, but I also want to see a good baseball series here. Yeah,
2: and then or if, if, you know, Bautista gets on first base, and there's a grounder, and he's got to do a slide, you know, it's... Right
1: into Rugi, yeah, and then, you know, we saw what happened with the, the fans throwing stuff in the field. I don't, this one's going to be uh, high tension, I guess.
2: Yeah, so you, you, Mike, by the way, has been doing these position-by-position position stories on the site. So if you're interested in this conversation as you should be, you should be going to the site and reading all about them and you've been getting some pushback uh, on social media from fans who don't really like your choices and there's been two in this in this series that apparently have drawn the ire of both of both fan bases. Third base
1: Now a lot of ta- I I, cho- I gave a small advantage to Josh Donaldson over Adrian Beltre. and I should say for the record I love Adrian Beltre. he's one of my favorite players in baseball I, I think he's a no doubt hall of famer uh, I'm sure he won't be a first ballot guy but it's going to be really fun to try at to push this point his I think pace. at
2: this point I think he's no longer a divisive hall of fame discussion like he used to be seen like oh this is going to be the next Jack Morris kind right. of guy but like I think he's past I think he's now clear like fourth or fifth year he's going to get it and
1: he what is he now 36 37 something like that even this year he's had he's had a great season uh 358 on base 521 slugging uh, 130 weighted runs created plus and great and great defense here's the thing josh donaldson won the mvp last year josh donaldson i just said belcher had a 130 weighted runs created plus well josh donaldson had a 155 weighted runs created plus is his glove as good as belcher probably not it's still above average um I think what happened was that because Donaldson had a really poor end of the season, he's maybe hurt with his hip, uh, he did not play that well in September, so people are thinking, well, maybe he's a little bit diminished, which I guess is fair, but I still can't put Belcher above
2: him. Agreed. And the other thing about Donaldson that's sort of sneaky valuable, he's an excellent base runner, but of course with the hip, maybe not quite as, but when it comes to like taking the extra base, he stands out above above their baseman.
1: Yeah. One of the other positions I got uh, with some pushback on was, was the starting rotation, because I said Texas had a slight edge and here's where i said that i think if you look he said Toronto at
2: Toronto had a slight edge
1: no i think i said Texas at a slight edge okay at least i hope i did yeah no i did i said okay. Texas at a slight edge
2: uh, at starting rotation okay
1: yeah. uh so the uh the reason i said that is if you look at all the pitchers who could start in this series eight or nine possible guys i think Texas has the two best right you Darvish is awesome Cole Hamels awesome probably gonna get some Cy Young support But then if you think about it after that, Toronto maybe has the next five, right? Like Sanchez and Happ and Estrada and all these guys. Because I'm not really big on Colby Lewis or Martin Perez for Texas. So I think Texas probably is the two best and the two weakest. Now, if it was a long series, that might give me the, the reason to push towards Toronto. This is a shorter series. You know, you could probably use Hamels twice. You can probably use... Uh, Darvish maybe once twice.
2: Maybe. Oh, I think I think that's probably why they put Hamels in game one is because they're much more comfortable putting him in back yeah, on short reps.
1: Exactly right. So you might not need to see Colby Lewis or Martin Perez. You see one of them, of course. Uh, and that was the reason why I gave Texas a very slight edge. And let me tell you, Toronto fans were displeased about this. And I think part of it's because they're overrating J A Happ's twenty two and four or whatever. Not that J A Happ hasn't had a good season. He has. He and and Porcello, I think, had the two best uh run support marks in baseball and that helps you win games no doubt about that uh so i, I gave texas this sl- it wasn't even a big edge like i think it's pretty close but yeah. I-, I thought texas with the two like really like classic aces there
2: probably got the edge for me that makes sense um and i think you mentioned shortstop maybe getting some pushback on shortstop so
1: here's the thing about shortstop i gave texas a small edge there too Now, Elvis Andrews for several years has been extremely disappointing, right? He signed that big contract and it it just didn't work out that well. He had a breakout year this year. I don't know if anybody actually noticed that Elvis Andrews had a really good year this year. 362 on base, 439 slugging. uh, That's a 112 rated runs created plus and uh, stole 20 or more bases for the eighth year in a row. Defensive metrics didn't love him so much, but this is really a good year for Andrews. Now, Tulowitzki He's been a league-average hitter for the last two years, almost, like, on the nose, at 102. He's not the same guy we saw in Colorado whatsoever. And, yeah, he left Coors Field, but it's not like Toronto's a bad place for hitters. Uh, You know, he's still a very good defensive infielder. We saw, I think, a throw the other night measured at 86, 87 miles an hour, something like that. I gave a slight edge to Texas. Uh, Toronto fans
2: displeased. Yeah, Tulo is, I mean, he's just, he's not the star he once was. And that's what, like, sort of... he, a, sort of an interesting contrast to a guy like Beltre who sort of has managed to maintain a star level performance and that's what makes him so special to be able to maintain that star level performance past the age of 35 whereas Tulo is still a good player but he's in his early 30s and it's like it seems he may have a, another one or two star level type seasons in him but you no longer he used to be like you know a top five fantasy pick and you know oh he's gonna be in, you know on MVP ballots every year but he's the reputation is still there, but the, the performance is not.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. So anyway, I, I will defend all my choices. About, for the most part, people seem to like them. Um, you know, that's our show for this week, and I think the next time we talk, we're, things are gonna have changed a lot. We might even see some teams bounced by the time we do this next we week. Will almost certainly have right? some teams I guess about. we will. We'll see some sweeps, hopefully. Uh so the first games are, are starting, uh we'll see both AL games starting later today, which is Thursday night, and then a
2: full series of all four series tomorrow. Quadruple header. Might be the only quadruple of the playoffs. There's also a chance we get if there are no sweeps, we'll also get a quadruple hitter on Monday.
1: Right. And we'll see how much the uh, impending hurricane messes up everybody's plans this weekend. True. So uh, this is our show. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Thanks so much for listening. We will catch you next week.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.